So if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we're in the middle of Romans 8. Romans 8 is one of those seminal chapters in the book of Romans, but also in the New Testament. It's one of those prized possessions, particularly the Protestant Reformation. Because in Romans 8, it defines very specifically what it means to walk by faith, to be born of the Spirit, as opposed to persisting in our regular lives that we're at one time without God, what Scripture calls the flesh. And then it gradually, in chapter 8, unfolds more and more what the blessings, the benefits of that actually is. And so, if you're with us last week, we talked about the encouragement of glory. And this is where Paul is talking about the future glory that awaits the saints. The possession in eternity, which of uh, being with Christ, and we're no longer in this world, still marked with all the beauty that we have, yet still marked by decay and destruction and ultimately death. And so in Christ, all that's going to come to an end. And Paul is taking that future vision and describing it so that we would have present encouragement. And so it is the encouragement of glory is what we talked about. Now today it's sort of a bonus round because it's not just one encouragement. We get three encouragements in the next part of the Romans 8 that Ben read. So we're in actually verse 26 and then we will go through verse 34. If you don't have your scripture, we're not actually going to be showing it up on the screen. But if you want to read along in the particular places that we'll be focusing our time, you should have a pew Bible and we're on page 1123 uh, if you want to go ahead and take advantage of that. But this is, you know, Paul really just packing in, in a sense, dense theology, but that we would be encouraged. And when I say encouraged, I don't mean that we would just go away with kind of a good, you know, a good word that somebody would give you, hey, be safe today, make good choices. No, I mean the kind of encouragement that comes from being accepted into uh, a job that you're applying for, or some of you have just taken the bar, successfully passing the bar, something that is life-changing and major, and when that came about, you were greatly encouraged, greatly encouraged. So let's look at the first, first encouragement, if you will. Verse 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, don't, we do not know what we ought to pray uh, for as we ought, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here's the first encouragement. The first encouragement is that the Holy Spirit is actually praying for you and for me, for everyone you know who is a fellow believer as you are, and He's praying for Holy Trinity Church. He prays individually and He prays corporately. And you know, maybe we know, know that theologically, but I think sometimes it's actually hard to appreciate in reality. Why is it hard to do that? I think it's hard, there can be a variety of reasons, but perhaps one of the ones that is most, uh, maybe I'm most in touch with, that when things get hard in my life, when mysteries tend to grow rather than get resolved, when headwinds blow harder than I would like, when setbacks seem to occur more frequently than I had anticipated, I tend to, th- the, the default thought would be, I'm praying to you, Lord, but you can seem pretty remote at this point. It can seem like you're not as close as I need you to be. 
And each of us, I think, knows that when life really piles on, when something really happens that's very difficult, it can, uh, it's some, some real turn to the right that's really bad and hard, some setback, some bad health news, some, uh, somebody that you care about has passed away, some job that you love, suddenly everything got changed, all kinds of things. And, and it can seem in that moment overwhelming. And we can wonder, Lord, what, what's going on in that time? And in that place. And the first encouragement then is God is not remote as we might understandably think as we think out of an emotional place or out of some place of woundedness. But rather, Scripture tells us that He's not, and we, you know, He's not out there remote. He's actually alongside of us, praying for us, interceding for us. He knows that whatever we're in the middle of now is what He always knew would happen. And he's not as bereft as we are, though he can cry with us and he can weep with us and he can walk with us through that. But he is one who says he is, he is praying for us. The scripture says he's praying for us because he knows that we are in the middle of this, this expression of weakness. Weakness in the Greek is, is often, the word is often used in, from where we get the word anesthesia. It's a total numbness, if you will, of mind and soul. In, in times and in places. So whatever that weakness is, whatever the cause of that is, the Lord has already known that. He's already allowed that into our lives. More about that a little bit later. That's the second encouragement. But right now, he is not as far off as we might imagine. He's far closer. And he's interceding in wordless groans. The groaning is, is significant because it means that he is feeling what we are feeling. Groaning is an emotional response to what's going on. And he is feeling that. Don't think that God is so uh, omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent that he cannot feel what we feel. For he has designed us to, be, uh, to do so. And so he is groaning with us. But he's doing this with wordless groans. With groans that we cannot hear necessarily. They're not for our benefit. He's not necessarily sharing them with us. But it is enough to know that he is actually praying for us. And he's praying as the Father instruction. You know, we're called Holy Trinity for a lot of reasons, but not least of which is we want to press in and always understand how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are related. The Father's instructing the Spirit to pray for us, and he is interceding for God's people in accordance with the will of God, in accordance with what God has in store through that. When I was, uh, I can remember experiencing a bit of this many years ago, the church that I was a part of went through a church split. Sadly, that's news that continues to happen as much as we think it shouldn't and as much as we can sort of do the autopsy later on and just, you know, find out what happened that shouldn't have happened and what could have uh, been done to prevent it. But when I went through that, I, it, was, it was devastating. We had a, a, a key pastor who was effectively the lead pastor. He and the elders split over various issues. Bunch of people went, significant amount of people went with the key pastor. Bunch of people stayed with the, the church led by the elders. And I was felt in the middle. I could see both points of view. I was, it, it was very painful to come to church the next Sunday after that split and see half the folks. And I was like, I didn't know necessarily what to pray. I mean, I'm praying that God would help me through just, just to be a good pastor. But what was I to do in that? Which, which way was God leading me? And I went on a retreat where 
uh, for four days to hear what he would say. And uh, the first thing he said was, we're not going to talk about what you should do at church until like the last day. So just don't, you know, that's not even on the table. And what he used the first three days to do is just remind me of his care, his love, his provision, the kinds of things that we're seeing here and reading about here. I, for some reason, I didn't have this verse in mind, so the idea that he's already interceding for me didn't really register, but I knew that I could pray to him, and so the trauma that was in the middle of that sort of gave way to a gradual sense of his presence and a, gra- and a gradual sense of what he wanted me to do. In the end, I came back and I said to the elders, I feel, I, I told him exactly what God said, which is, you should go back and you should continue to pastor, but you will not be there forever. Okay, so that's exactly what I did. Shared that with uh, both groups that I was connected with. And I could see how God has used that in my life uh, just to be faithful, just to hear, just to feel that weakness of not knowing what to do, the powerlessness that comes from something like that. I'm encouraged by the way God comes to us in prayer and even goes before us in prayer. His spirit is groaning not only for each of us in, in our situations. You know, he's groaning at some level for a holy trinity. He brought us into being. He has a plan. He, he's bringing people into the life of this church. We have folks that are in the, the part of our Wednesday group that we don't see very often here, but he's expanding what he's doing through us in this way. Nick, will, later on, will give you an update on the Alpha endeavor that we're supporting. That's super encouraging. So the Lord is already praying for us, already interceding for us, that we would be glorifying him. And that really encourages me. I hope that that encourages you. The second encouragement that I see, if you drop down with me to verse 28, it says this, and we know that God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If you've spent any time in Romans 8, if you've been in any kind of Sunday school, you had to memorize that verse. And it came in a variety of forms, but basically, yeah, that's exactly the verse. We know that all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And for those God he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, it's important to make sure we understand how this verse works. That God, excuse me, that God works for good all the, for all those who love him. In other words, all the things that we are experiencing, God has known about, he's already interceding for us about, but he is using those things for our very good. What kind of good are we talking about? The good that says, that points to God, to the way that he works, to the way that he loves, the way that he goes before us, the way that he has already you know, multiple moves ahead of the things that concern us in life, the way, most importantly, that he has given us the privilege. What is life about? Life is about living for the Lord, and and as we do that, it's the most fulfilling calling any of us can have. It's the most fulfilling thing any church can do, to reflect Christ, to be his hands, his feet, his compassion, his generosity, his prayers for healing, his uh, fight for justice, the things that Jesus did on earth, he's now chartered the church to do, and we are belonging here in Holy Trinity, and trying to do that in increasing ways, which is really cool and not very easy to do. We have to know that God uses everything that goes on in our life 
even the setbacks, and I would say particularly the setbacks and the challenges. You know, some people may have gotten a little sideways on the verse because sometimes it's been translated this way, that all things work for good for those who love God. But that can't be right because all things don't work for good in that sense. All things is not the subject of the verse. God is the subject of the verse. All things come in different shapes and sizes. All things have it. Some of those all things can be actually evil. We know this, this is throughout Scripture in countless ways. Think of just the story of Joseph's first, first book of Scripture, Genesis. Towards the end, Joseph is, God uses, the reason he's in there is there is one episode of evil after another in his life that God actually purposely uses to bring about good, not only Joseph's life, but actually to save a nation, which is really cool. Just the highlight or the low light reel of Joseph's life. He's, he's hated by his brothers. That's evil enough. He's sold into slavery, another evil that's committed. He's falsely accused of sexual assault, a uh, third evil. He's unjustly imprisoned as a result of that, a fourth evil. A uh, court official that he helps doesn't help him, fifth evil. There is a stepping stone of evil that God is using very deliberately to bring him to a place before Pharaoh where he can use the gifts that God has given him and be the instrument of salvation from hunger, in this case, for a whole nation, including the, the fledgling people of Israel, what becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. But you might recall, if you're familiar with the story, at the end, his 11 brothers are very concerned that their, the bill is coming due for their relationship, that the original selling him into slavery was not a good idea. And now that, he's realized, now that he's revealed himself as the second most powerful in the kingdom, they're expecting payback. And so they, you know, they're kind of shuffling up to him like, don't. And he says to them, and he's already warmly embraced them and wept, and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. When Paul writes that God uses all things for our good, for those who love him. He's essentially repeating that story of Joseph. And he's pointing us to Jesus Christ, who himself used everything that was evil that came against us for our, what we call, salvation, for our rescue, for the whole regeneration and recreation of this life. Some of us might be asking, well, if God did that for Joseph, did he have to go through all that drama? I mean, like, wouldn't it have been better not to have the famine to begin with and just pour out rain? And maybe Joseph and his, and his brothers could have patched things up and then he wouldn't have had to go to slavery. Or At any, any point along that way, couldn't God have, have intervened and stopped that? The answer is yes. But what was he doing? What, what do we learn about God in the midst of that story about Joseph that helps us? We learn a lot of things, but what we learn is that he is sovereign above all things and the worst that the world can do to any of the his children, he actually is so sovereign and so caring and so loving and so mighty that he can actually use the very things they meant for ill, for our good, for his glory, for the plans that he has. And so we come to Jesus. Joseph is a, 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 just pointing to Christ in terms of what he's doing. As I said, Jesus is also put on the cross by evil. 
by the, the evil of sin, that's really the, the real reason he's there, but the evil of the Pharisees combined with the evil of the Romans combined with the evil of the crowd, the crucifixion, all these things are stepping stones of evil that are used not just now to save a, a region from hunger, but to save each and every one of us from death and an eternal death and to bring us into life. So that is the amazing, amazing encouragement. When I said it's not just a good word, do kind things or anything like that. It's something that is life-changing. God is working all things, all things now for our good. Let's bring it down to each of our lives. Everything that's going on in our lives, God has it figured out. He knows how he's using it. He knows where he'll use it for good. And there's plenty of things that we, you know, we might suggest, I'm suggesting all kinds of things to God all the time about what would be good for me and what would not be good for me. And I have to say, I don't know if it's immaturity or just his graciousness, but most of the time I find those prayers answered. You know, I don't want to be tested. Lead us not into a time of trial, but there are times of trial. We've experienced, I've experienced some of those already. So have you. And there may be more yet. But all of them are to bring glory to God. All of them are to point to the redeeming aspects the way that God uses things that are bad for his glory, for our good. And when, if we would embrace that about God, when we get to heaven, this is part of the glory thing from, from last week, we will be able to say, as Joseph did, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We can't see that right now, can we? I mean, when somebody comes at you and says something or does something, you're, I don't know, I'll just speak for myself. My first reaction may be less than entirely charitable. I might be just a little bit irked. I might be thinking about how to come back at them. I know some of you are in media, some of you are in academia. You know that the minute you put something out there to publish or to write, while you might look forward to or long for great comments and kudos and that's wonderful, your article changed my life. I'd never considered that point of view. You know that just around the corner are all manner of critiques and people that are going to use your stuff to build up their career. That's just the way it can go sometimes. And in our public square, I think that is on the increase rather than on the decrease. What people do that is hurtful, harmful, unhelpful to the academic discussion, all those things, God is using that in some way, shape, or form for good. And part of, part of understanding or asking him to show us wisdom in, this, in applying this is to say, well, Lord, how do I respond to those things, those challenges? When somebody muscles up with, at you at work and they're, they're kind of encroaching on your project or something that you were clearly called to do, but they see this as their ticket to some greater reputation or compensation, how do we respond to that? doesn't mean we don't respond but we respond in the way that would glorify Christ. What am I saying? That the good God has for us is not to be confused with the comfort that we desire. And oftentimes it doesn't go that way. But he does, as I say, he's a gracious God. Most of the time he's answering my prayers for all those things, and I'm sure he's answering yours. Remember, oftentimes, and colloquially we would call these things blessings in disguise. Winston Churchill's up and down career had any number of uh, political failings and setbacks. He lost more than one election. In one loss, his wife said, uh, said to him, I think it's a blessing in disguise. And he said at the moment, it seems very effectively disguised. <laughs> there are times where we cannot see how God is using these things, but indeed he is. 
Let me close with the final encouragement. We've, we've looked at God works everything for our good, which is synonymous with our representing his kingdom, being in his life. We've looked at the fact that he's actually praying for us. And now we look at the third encouragement, verse 31 and 32, which says, when we, when shall we, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So Paul is, has many talents, one of which is a really good legal mind, and he's just following the, the train of thought here. If God gave his son Jesus for us on the cross so that by his resurre- resurrection we have eternal life, um, just providing for our daily provision and the things that we need, he's, he's got that too. That's basically kind of what he's saying. He's got everything that we need. What, if God is for us, who can be against us? He would not spare his own son. He will graciously give us all things. What things? Things that we need in order to continue out, carry on the mission and the assignments he's given us. If you are a husband or a wife, he'll give you the grace that you need for that. If you're raising children, he'll give you the grace that you need for that. If you're employed by somebody, the grace that you need for that. If you are pursuing those academic or media careers, the grace that you need for that. Those things that we have been called to by the Lord for the season that he calls us to, we will have everything that we need. You might be asking, I'll close with this, but I don't see everything that I need. But notice there's no qualifier in that. It's not based on our goodness or things like that. It's based on who God is and what he's doing. I have learned and I still need to learn to do this. When I lack something, and there's things that I'm praying about now, thinking I do need that. In fact, I needed that yesterday. But if I could have it today, that would be great. And if I can't get it for a week from now, then I'll just have to be patient. But the key here to to move in that grace is to focus on not on what we're lacking at that time, but focus on the one who will provide in his time. I think if we do those things, we will glorify him. The apostles and disciples and Paul didn't get everything they wanted when they wanted But they trusted the Lord to work out all things in accordance with the counsel of his will. They trusted the Lord to move them through the times of, uh, in some cases, deprivation, times of difficulties, times of stress. And he faithfully did so for them. And he will faithfully do so for us. And so that we will look back, and I think if we are faithful because he is praying for us and we are responding to that prayer, we will be able to look back and say, Lord, I wasn't sure how I could get through that. But I discovered that you've been interceding for me. I've discovered that you've been providing for me. I've discovered that actually I'm in a much better place when I cease to look at what I'm missing or what I think I need, and I look to you who always loves me and provides everything I need.